Well, this morning we get to kick off our study in Philippians. And in some ways, it's unlike many of the sermons that I've preached before, and that when I've endeavored to go into a book of the Bible, I've said, well, I'm going to do an introduction and the first section of the book. And inevitably, after I do those two things, I feel like I've done horribly at both of them. So, in that effort, I'm going to try to just do one of those things. And if I do it horribly, at least I've just done that thing horribly. But we will trust God's Word and His Spirit to work in this time to bring about the results uh, that only it can. So this morning, we are in Philippians Philippians, and I'm going to be giving an introduction and a background uh, to Philippi, uh, the culture and the context of which Paul is writing to. Uh, going to give a little bit of historical context. There's some interesting things that happened in Philippi uh, leading up to Paul's letter uh, to the Philippians. And then I want to overview some of the themes and core texts that we'll look out look at in the subsequent weeks. And I want to just commend, obviously we've talked about the scripture journal uh, that I would commend to you. And if we run out, please let me know and we will get you one. I'm already, I feel like an auctioneer. And we've got one over here, one, one over here. Uh, if you would like one, uh, we can order one. The one that I had to use as a display uh, is up for grabs. Uh, but if we still do not have one for you, uh, we would love to make that available for you. But I want to be one who points you to resources. Uh, I'd love to be your one-stop resource, uh, but I am not. Uh, but I certainly can give you as many books that you could possibly read. I think many of you already know that. I've sent you home with much homework over the years that I've been here. Uh, but I want to just commend this to you, uh, and these are free as a gift from the church. Uh, this is probably the best study Bible that's out there right now. This is the English Standard Version uh, study Bible, so the English Standard Version uh, of the text, but the study notes that are in it, the backgrounds of books of the Bible are just fantastic. Uh, if you are a uh, picture reader, uh, like everybody would say, amen, pictures are great. Uh, <laughs> there we go. Uh, there are some awesome illustrations. So in Sunday school, we were talking about uh, the tabernacle in Hebrews chapter 9 and uh, from the Old Testament. Uh, you've got some interesting just uh, images that really put flesh and bones on. Oh, this is what's going on in this. So right now there's this one and then there's two more and there's more in my office that if you want to take one of these study Bibles home, uh, you can certainly uh, do that. Much of the information that I'm going to touch on uh, could be found in uh, that study Bible. Uh, so know that firsthand that you can study these things on your own as well outside of our time. So our series in the book of Philippians, it's a four-chapter book. Uh, it is very short uh, in one sense, but it is packed. Uh, and I think from reading through Philippians many times over the course of the last few weeks, that the core message uh, is that Paul is desiring for the church at Philippi and our church, uh, by extension, to be advancing the gospel in joy to be advancing the gospel 
in joy. Now, we, if we wanted to just parse that statement out and say, okay, what does that look like? You know, we could be joyful and not advance the gospel. We could be really happy people. We could be really kind. We could have a smile all the time and it actually be genuine and not proclaim the gospel at all. The gospel is more than just joy. Or maybe we can advance the gospel and not be joyful. If you are on the social media channels that I am on, there are many people who are advancing the gospel and they're not doing it in a very joyful way. <laughs> the, the Christian world and the watching world are looking at the gospel that they're preaching that, that supposedly reconciles sinful men to a holy God and saying that doesn't really seem that joyful. So we can be joyful and not advance the gospel. We can advance the gospel and not be jo joyful. Or worse still, we could not be joyful and not advance the gospel. Paul, at each of these counters, says no. It's a both and. You advance the gospel in joy. And all of these imperatives that Paul says, live out your citizenship as heavenly citizens. Walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Be joyful about what Jesus has done. Don't just advance the gospel, though certainly he even commends. Yep, they're preaching out of conceit and jealousy and rivalry. I don't care that Christ goes out, but his key and central message is advance the gospel in joy. Those two phrases are the most used words in the book of Philippians, joy and the gospel. And Paul talks about joy both in a emotional or a spiritual sense that Christ has given him joy, but then he also speaks in this very warm tone towards the Philippians. He even refers to them as his crown and joy in life. Think about that. These Philippians have become so dear to Paul that when he writes this letter back to him, he can't stop but show his affection for them. Not only have they partnered with him in the gospel, he says in the beginning of chapter one that they've even partnered with him in the middle of his, his imprisonments the end of the book, he says, none of the other Macedonian churches contributed to my need, but you did. Partners in the gospel. And before we go on, I want to just be really clear. What is this gospel that Paul is talking about? He's very clear all throughout the gospel that the gospel is the work of redemption done by Jesus Christ. To redeem those who are sinful and in need of salvation. Now the whole Bible points to this reality that sinful men must be reconciled. And the only way to be reconciled is in Christ. But when we talk about the gospel, it is the central and core message of what Jesus has done in his life, death, burial, and resurrection and ascension to the right hand of God that makes us adopted as sons and promises a new future. He set all things 
new. Or maybe to put it in a present active sense, he is setting all things new. And it is set. All things are new. Being made new. This is all because of Christ. and What he's done. The good news. The gospel of Christ. I already feel like I've given an overview of a lot of Philippians just then. All right, still need to keep going. (laughs) So let's look at Philippians in its world. Philippians in its world. When Annie and I first moved to Kentucky, and I would ask, because I would go to these different events, and I'd be asking pastors, hey, where do you pastor at? And they're like, oh, well, I'm in uh, Buckner County. Cool, that's great. And pretty quickly, they realized, you're not from here, are you? <laughs> I was like, no. <laughs> so we need to know, where is Philippi? Where is this place? Philippi is in Macedonia, or modern-day Greece. And this letter was written to the church there at Philippi between approximately the years 60 and 62 AD. The circumstances that Paul is writing, uh, if you were at Sunday school a while back, uh, Paul was in jail. So as Paul, the apostle, is writing uh, the book of Philippians or the, the letter to the Philippian church, he is imprisoned. He's imprisoned in Rome. But Paul's encounter with the Philippians didn't start in Philippians chapter 1. There was an existing relationship that happened. We saw read in Acts chapter 16 that Paul sees this vision of a Macedonian saying, come over to us, help us. And what does he say? We immediately, verse 10, went to proclaim the good news. We sought uh, to, to make way to Philippi. So Philippi is in Macedonia, but Philippi is a prominent Roman province, a prominent Romans province. Acts chapter 16, verse 12, if you want to turn there with me. After Paul receives this vision in Acts chapter 16, in verse 12, they set out to go and visit these Macedonian cities. Beginning in verse 11 of Acts chapter 16, if you're following along. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Samothrace, the next day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi. How does he talk about it? A Roman colony and a leading city of the district of Macedonia. And we stayed in that city for several days. So Philippi is a Macedonian city, but it is a Roman province. Some interesting Background, I quizzed Annie on this question last night. Who was Philippi named after? Come on, nobody? Almost. Was Philip the Great named Philip the Great because he was Alexander the Great's dad? I don't know. Maybe he was. But it was named after Alexander the Great's father, Philip II of Macedon. I'm sure that helps you in your understanding of Philippi. But as we think about Philippi, as we think about Philippi, there were some amazing uh, military fights that happened there in Philippi uh, that was then named Philippi. Um, 
So some, some battles there. Here's what one commentator says, that its colonial status or it becoming a Roman province brought with it the significant benefit of equal status with the Italian communities and freedom of its citizens and lands from direct taxation. This was known as the Ius Italcum, which conferred the same rights as those granted to Italian cities, the highest privilege possible for a Roman province. So you have its founding based on Alexander the Great's father. You have uh, this, uh, I, I don't have it right in front of me, but you have Brutus and uh, uh Mark Antony, who have just killed the Roman emperor, who flee. Where do they flee? They flee to Philippi, where they are then eradicated. So Philippi has this military background, this military creed, and also this Roman uh, how would you say it? Just uh, this incredible Roman influence. There was a status throughout the book of Philippi. We're going to see that status and pride is something that Paul recommends, not just recommends, but tells explicitly. Don't do this. Humble yourself. Humble yourself like Christ humbled himself. So Philippi was this great city, a prominent Roman province that had these ties uh, to military defeats and rises and falls. Paul writes this letter with that background in mind. He writes it to saints, all of those in the church, also to overseers or pastors and deacons. We'll see all throughout the letter that Paul cares so deeply for them. As we look through that and see Paul caring for and being cared for by these Philippians. I feel like my page is blank. But there are words, but not the words that I'm looking for. Paul is writing to the Philippian church with this understanding of who they are and what they've Done, but Philippi was not always a great place for Paul to do ministry. First Thessalonians chapter two, verse two. If you want to flip over there just briefly, Paul opens his letter to the Thessalonians and actually <laughs> throws his encounters at Philippi right to them. First Thessalonians chapter two, verse two. On the contrary, after we had previously suffered and were treated outrageously in Philippi. As you know, we were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel of God to you in spite of great opposition. What's he doing? His call to Macedonia is of God to proclaim the gospel. The opposition comes in Philippi by preaching the gospel and his affiliation with Christ. But what does he say? That even though they were treated outrageously, they were emboldened by God to continue to speak the gospel. The gospel advances. It happens through the church. 
So that is what we see in Philippi. That is a little bit about their world, a little bit about their history, a little bit about their geography. And it's all because the gospel goes forth. The gospel from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth, it starts to sweep to the west. And ultimately, we are recipients of that as well. The gospel advances. And I want us to just realize how important, how integral, how vital, how non-negotiable it is for us to proclaim the gospel. You may be sitting there like, oh my goodness, I've got to talk to people. I'm already getting chuckles and I haven't even talked about the, the message that we're going to be talking. Just the and I've got to talk to people, got, got people giggling. Yep. Not only do we need to talk to people, but we talk to people about the gospel. I'll say in the last few weeks, we've met as uh, an evangelism and outreach team to talk about how will we train one another in proclaiming this gospel with boldness? How will we, in one sense, jump on board this message to advance the gospel with joy? How will we do that? We've got some exciting things that are being prepared for that. But let me just encourage you. You may be like, I don't know. That just doesn't seem like me. That doesn't seem feasible. You can just say tomorrow, if you go to the grocery store, you go somewhere where there's a little bit of time. Hey, what was church about yesterday? Church? Are you kidding me? What do you think about church? I don't go to church. What kind of crazy people goes to church? Well, here's us crazy people, right? It gives you an opportunity to say, well, I'd love to invite you to come to church. We talked about Jesus yesterday and talking about the good news that he died for us and he died for you. And I'd love to tell you about him. Or at the beginning, it might be, uh, I go to this church and Jesus loves you. And uh, thanks for my receipt. Bye. We'll get there. But we are called to advance the gospel. We are called to this great commission. And as your pastor, I'm desiring to see myself and us as a church latch on to proclaiming the gospel that we would be like Paul desires for the Philippians, that we would be Christians who are advancing the gospel in joy. And the world that Philippi was situated in needs the gospel our world that we are situated in needs the gospel. So Philippians, in its world, historical and geographical context, now Philippians in the word, the word. If it was written in 60 to 62 AD, Jesus has died on the cross as the substitutionary atonement for sin. He's risen to the right hand of God. His disciples have been witness to this. They've had dinner with him. They've touched his nail-scarred hands. Stephen has been martyred at the feet of Saul, now Paul, who writes this letter, saying, this Jesus, the one you crucified, he is the one who's risen, and I now give testimony 
to you. Jesus is ascended to the right hand of the Father. The church is blossoming. The church is flourishing. But the church is not just blossoming and flourishing because the situation and the scenario is just ripe. Well, there was no opposition. There was no oppression. There was no governmental overreach. There was no issues that would possibly have hindered the church from growing. It was in the prime time. Absolutely not. If we know the Bible, if we know Roman history, if we know even Middle Eastern history, if we know even our own history. As one commentator says, devoid of maybe 140 years of those who follow Yahweh, those who follow the triune God, there has been maybe 140 to 150 years where the church as a whole has not been persecuted by some faction or another. That leaves a lot of our history in persecution. We, like the church at Philippi, under these tyrant governors, tyrant rulers, are, are still in difficult situations. Certainly they're not the way that they were then. I think we've fallen under the guise that everything's okay. We live in America. It's fine. I think our eyes are being opened that might have, we certainly don't seem to be a nation that seeks to honor God. But what does Paul commend the Philippians to do as citizens of heaven? Not as citizens of Kentucky. Not as citizens of the United States. As those who have been bought by the precious blood of Jesus. As heavenly citizens Walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Advance the gospel. The gospel goes forth not devoid from, but in prevalent persecution. So let us be advancing the gospel in joy. We see these themes pop up, three in particular. And certainly there will be more as we get into the letter more deeply. We see joy. We see joy, but not just joy as a trite thing to put in your backpack of other emotions. Joy in all circumstances. Paul is writing in prison to a people who are under oppression. And he's telling them, stand firm. Don't be fearful. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you have received. He even commends these Philippian Christians that I don't need anything from you. I'm not writing you to ask for more stuff. You've given me all that I need. And you know what? I've even found that in all circumstances, whether I have much or whether I have little, I know that I have what I need. So not just joy in much, joy in all circumstances. He gives this commendation. Rejoice. <laughs> Essentially, take joy. Take joy in what? In who? 
in Jesus. But he doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just say, hey, take joy, rejoice. He says, period. And again, I say rejoice. Be joyful in all circumstances. Secondly, we see the advance of the gospel as being a priority for Paul there in Philippi. The gospel in the midst of opposition, in the midst of uh, this push uh, against them. Paul says, even in prison, guys, even in prison. Let's go back to Acts chapter 16. Flip with me there. This is one of my favorite chapters of the entire Bible. Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 16, Paul and Silas are there in Philippi. And here's, <laughs> here's what goes down. Acts chapter 16, verse 16. Once, as we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us, uh, met us who had a spirit which she had predicted the future. She could tell the future by this demon possession. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune telling. As she followed Paul... Uh, and us, she cried out, These men who are proclaiming to you a way of salvation are the servants of the Most High God. What an amazing commendation, by the way, to have a demon-possessed person following you around, saying, they're proclaiming the gospel of salvation to you, are servants of the Most High God. I don't know what a demon-possessed person would say about me, but if it comes anything close to that, I'll take it. I will be advancing the gospel in joy. 18, she did this for many days, and Paul was greatly annoyed. <laughs> Amen. Turning to the Spirit, he said, I command you to get, out of, to get out in the name of Jesus Christ. Get out of her. And it came right away. But when her owners realized that, their hope of profit was gone. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace and the authorities, bringing them before the chief magistrates. They said, these men are seriously disturbing our city. Let's just hold, hold tight right there. These men, these servants of the Most High God who are proclaiming the way of salvation to you are causing us to have our whole city, our whole way of life turned upside down. This is what it looks like to be advancing the gospel in joy. So they take them before and it says they're Jews and are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt and to practice. So the crowd joined and ultimately they ended up in jail. And as we look down at verse 25 of Acts chapter 16, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself because we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house. 
He took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds right away. He and all his family were baptized. He brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and rejoiced because he had come to believe in God with his entire household. Earlier in Acts chapter 16, they meet this woman by the name of Lydia who comes to know Christ, her and her household. This is the foundation of the Philippian church because Paul and Silas end up in jail. The gospel is going forth, not just to Lydia, not just to others in the community, but to the entire imperial guard. Philippians 1 verse 13, so that it has become known through the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. How on earth can Paul write a letter about advancing the gospel in joy while he's in jail? Because the gospel is advancing while he's in jail too. He'll say elsewhere that the gospel cannot be chained. So it's not just joy in some circumstances. It's not just advancing the gospel in some circumstances. It's at all times. So we see joy in all circumstances, the advance of the gospel. And then we'll also see unity of the church. Paul writes this letter to all the saints, including the pastors and the deacons, to be of one mind. See, the, they have these cultural markers, right? The Roman Empire had senators and governors and all of these different things that kind of showed, hey, they're of this type of significance or, well, they're just, we just don't do anything with that. So this church is made up of socioeconomic backgrounds. They're made up of probably Macedonians from before uh, it was then made into a Roman colony. You've got different allegiances. You've got different pay scales. You've got different honor systems. You've got all of these different things. And Paul says, be unified. Have this mind that is in Christ Jesus. Not just you. Not just you. You. The collective, plural, you. Philippian church, you. Be unified in the gospel. So this is what we see. We see the advancing of the gospel taking place in Philippi. Because Paul received this vision to go and proclaim the gospel to them. God brings the growth. And now Paul circles back around and writes this beautiful letter. It says, do the same thing. Imitate me. Imitate me in advancing the gospel in joy. We're going to see some incredible verses. Probably, uh, most notably, thanks to Tim Tebow, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul's talking about prison. He's not talking about a, a, a football field, right? We see in chapter 1, verse 6, I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. What an incredible truth for believers. He who started this work, you're not left alone. He's going to complete it. Another key verse, chapter 1, verse 21. 
For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What a... Who says that? Paul does. We'll look at that in following weeks. Verse 27, just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, you have this amazing hymn where Paul is calling these believers to be humble. And he looks at Christ and his humility. That instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death and even death on a cross. Verse 13 in chapter 2. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Chapter 3, verse 7. But everything that was gained to me, I've considered to be a loss because of Christ. Paul's just laid out this list of ways that he's better than just about anybody who can bring any type of social clout to the table. He says, oh yeah, they want to bring that? I'm better. They want to bring this? Okay, Most improved player, that's cute. I'm the MVP, three times running. But then he says, but everything that was gained to me, I've considered to be a loss because of Christ. Who says that? Someone who's advancing the gospel in joy. He's living his heavenly citizenship. We'll see in chapter 4, verse 4, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Chapter or verse eight of chapter four. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. That's just a foretaste, guys. We've got weeks, months, probably not years. Weeks and months in this message to the Philippians, where we see Paul's continued thrust being to the Philippian church and to us to advance the gospel in joy. Man, I'm excited. I'm excited for this book. I'm excited to see uh, what God chooses to do through it. I'm excited uh, that uh, we would pray that the Lord would cause us, stir in us desire to advance the gospel in joy. Let me pray for us.